Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust in you. Um, thank you that you care for us. That your love is powerful and it's mighty. That it's saving. Thank you, Lord. Um, so I loved my time in seminary. Uh, now, now, some of that had to do with the actual nature of school because I love digging into my faith and, and challenging it. Um, but just as much, I really loved being part of the community, the community that I developed there. Uh, we lived in a beautiful house on campus uh, that overlooked the canal. It's probably way more than I could ever afford in real life, but um, it was student housing, and, uh, and so they, they gave it to us. Um, and I don't know why, because everybody was like, how did you get this house? I was like, it's student housing. Um, and uh, since, since we lived on campus, we didn't have to worry about cars. And so Zeb, my oldest, um, who, who was two whenever we got there, and, and saw my middle son, who was born while I was in seminary, they could play pretty freely in the common areas. And, and so Sam learned to walk, and he learned to run on campus, and, uh, and Zeb learned to ride his bike. And, and we, developed, we, we developed this really wonderful community uh, with the other students. Um, we were the older married couple, uh, so my younger colleagues would also come by for meals and just to play with kids and stuff. Um, you know, they had like a couple hours on campus, so they just come and hang out at our house. And uh, it was a pretty blessed time. And, and though I was excited to graduate, uh, I was pretty sad to leave the community behind that we had formed. Now, um, imagine my shock uh, a few months later. You know, I'd moved away, and I got a text from a friend on campus. Uh, we had a library. Well, well, we had the library. The school had the library, and uh, then we had a room on, on at the library. We always took it was on the top floor, and it overlooked the campus. Um, and he he was in the in that that room, and he and he texted me. He said, "Please pray." We heard gunshots, and the state put alarm. And so over the next few hours, I I got texts from several other friends. You know, there are two shooters, and 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 they caught one of the shooters, but they're looking for the other. There's four dead, and, and you know, who knows how many wounded. And eventually it came out there was one shooter. He killed one person and injured several more. And uh, while he was reloading his weapon, um, a student saw, like, tackled him, and they were able to restrain him. Uh, the student that was killed's name was Paul Lee. And he went to the church where I did my pastoral internship. And I, I didn't know him, um, or at least I don't think I know him. Uh, you know, it was one of those things like, I, I, don't, I don't know, it was a bigger church. But the whole instance was really disturbing. And, and it happened in the biology building, which was right next to that courtyard area where my kids would play almost every day. Um, that's where Z learned how to ride his bike. Uh, and so I, I just grieved. I grieved for my friends, for my church, for my school. And I grieved that I wasn't there to help comfort them. And I grieved that I wasn't there so I could be comforted. Um... But as I watched the news reports from that day, the video showed something beautiful that was happening that night. And it's, it's something that happens whenever Christians face tragedy. 
students started gathering in small groups all around campus, and they prayed, and they worshipped. Uh, the next morning, of course, there was a chapel service, and I joined via the YouTube live stream. And I, I don't remember the message. I don't remember who spoke. Um, but, uh, but I remember the song that we sang. And that was Your Love is Strong, which is why I wanted to, to, to sing that today. Because of my association with that time. And because of my association with the time, that song is very special with me. And like, you know, the way it goes up in the end, it's hard to sing. Like, it's not like a, like a great congregational song. Um, and that we've sung it a lot. And I've sung it a lot in worship services. And it almost never goes well, <laughs> but I love it. I love it because it just reminds me of God's grace and love in the time of uncertainty and fear and hurt. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series in the book of Exodus, and we're going to be looking at worship, and we're going to be looking at judgment, and we're going to be looking at the love of God. And, and to recap, well, last week we went over a ton of scripture. We went over the ten plagues that God sent to Egypt so they might know the Lord, which eventually culminated in, with the Pharaoh and the Egyptians giving the Israelites all their silver and gold and encouraging them to leave the country. And so the, the Israelites, former Egyptian slaves, went on to the journey in the wilderness to the lands that God had promised their ancestors. And as they left, uh, God took them on this really uh, a circuitous route. Right? It wasn't a direct shot. God took them way out of the way. And this is Exodus 13, 17 to 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road to the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt to be ready for battle. God was worried that if the Israelites went directly into their promised lands, that they'd encounter battles that they were just not ready for. Um, Israel was not ready to receive the promises of God. And because they claimed God's promises, they would, they would encounter resistance. It'd be hard. It would be challenging. Yes, they had God's promise, but they did not have the, 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 the courage, the faith, and the fortitude to trust and live into that promise. Instead, they had to learn how to trust God first. They learned, had to learn how to follow. And that's the way life works, right? You know, if I, if I told my kids, that they're too young, but if I told them, okay, you can have my car, um, but they don't have my dri their driver's license yet, I, I won't give them the keys, right? Sure, the car might be theirs, but, uh, but they can't use it until they have a license, until they can pay for insurance, and until they can be responsible for it. Right? They have to grow into those responsibilities. Israel hadn't grown into its promises. And that's something we need to remember. We're always being raised up by God. We're always being trained to live into his promises. First Peter 3 through 7. Or sorry, 1, 3 through 7. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God intentionally led the Israelites on a route that wasn't direct. 
he took them through the back roads so that they can build up the strength to receive his promises. And God, he led them by a pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And, and, and by the way, they, they didn't get that sign through their entire travels. Remember, God is training up his people. Step by just step throughout that journey, the cloud changes, right? At first, um, there's a pillar of clouds and a pillar of fire. Later, it's just a cloud over the tabernacle, and we'll get more into that. Um, and we could even say that today, God's people do not need the pillar of clouds because Jesus broke down the, par the barrier between the people and God's presence. And the Holy Spirit's given all to trust Jesus. And our bodies become the tabernacle in which the Spirit of the Lord dwells. Right? So, so we have that cloud inside of us. But that's a, another sermon. Back to the story. The Israelites, they're led to the edge of a body of water, the Red Sea. Then the, sh the story shifts back to the Pharaoh. Um, Exodus 4, or 14, starting at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go, and we have lost their services. So he made his chariot ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with, all, with officers over all of them. Now remember, those Israelites, they'd been in Egypt for 430 years. And, and we don't have the exact numbers, but scripture says that there were over 600,000 men. Um, and there's some debate about that number. I mean, after all, the population of Alaska is uh, about 736,000. And, and that's men, women, and children. Um, but regardless of the exact number, it's a huge number of people. And imagine the economic impact if that much of your labor force just disappeared. All right? It would be devastating. It would be devastating. And so once again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Already the lessons of the ten plagues were forgotten. And Pharaoh got his army together, and he chased after the Israelites. And it wasn't just Pharaoh who forgot the power of the Lord, right? The Israelites forgot too. God brought them to the edge of the sea. And when Pharaoh's army, you know, was, came into sight, the Israelites cried out, Why did you bring us out all this way? We could have died, just, just, we could have died in Egypt if we are just going to die. Right? If we would have stayed in Egypt, sure we would have been slaves, but we still would have been alive. Right? No wonder God didn't think that they were ready for his promised land. They didn't trust him. They didn't trust his God, or they didn't trust his character. They didn't know him. They doubted him. And God wanted them to know him. And God wanted Egypt to know him. So once again, God, Pharaoh's, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. A lot of tongue twisters today. God hardened Pharaoh's heart and had him chase the Israelites to the sea. And then God had Moses raise his staff and stretch up his hands, and the sea parted. There's a wall of water to the left and a wall of water to the right, and Israel was instructed to walk on the passage that the Lord made through the water. And so the Israelites, they walked through the water. And then came Pharaoh with his armies and chariots, and God made the wheels of the chariots get stuck so that the army could not move quickly. And the Israelites, they made their way through. And then after the Israelites were saved, God stretched out his arm again, or sorry, Moses stretched out his arm again, and the Lord let the waters go back into place, drowning Pharaoh and all of his army. And the God of Egypt was dead, and his power was broken. Um, the first sermon I preached here at First Covenant Church, besides like a, a kind of like get-to-know-me sermon, um, was a sermon about water. 
it's, uh, it's actually one of my favorite topics through scripture. Um, and so I have lots of thoughts about the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to get to share them all because I want to kind of move through the story. But um, in Hebrew, there's lots of words that reference other things. It's, it's a language... Um, Actually, the Bible Project has a podcast, and they, they kind of talk about how Hebrew is um, hypertext, right? Like, um, whenever you read an email or something, and you see something that's like has like an underline in it, if you click it, it'll take you to another website where you can find out more information. Um, Hebrew is almost like that, where things reference back to other things, um, depending on how the words used, how the, the grammar is um, constructed, and, and the word that's used for water here is the same word that's used for water way back in Genesis chapter one when the Spirit of God hovers over the waters, before the creation of the world, all right? And, and, and that water is not just water, right? It's the water's chaos. And God pushes water in Genesis 1. God pushes water this way and that way and this way and that way. And, 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 and he gives it boundaries. He puts it into place to create a place for people to live, right? For us to live. And so... That chaos, that, that chaos, it's coming in from the top, but it's coming in from the bottom, it's coming in from the left, and it's coming in from the right. And the, only the hands of God keep the waters at bay. And this is what the story shows us. This is another reference of that. When there seems to be no way, right? When the, the things of life seem to be, be crouching into it and you're up against it. God, he made a way. He pushes the waters away, making a way where there's no way so the Israelites could know that God is the one who saved them. It was only God. And when Pharaoh, and I keep on emphasizing this, Pharaoh, he's not just the, the political ruler. He's, he's, the, he's the chief deity. He, he's, he's the God king, right? When the God of Egypt, when he tries to do the same thing, God let the waters come in and destroy that false god and of his powers. Pharaoh, the rival god with all of his armies, his rival powers, they tried to demonstrate their might over the Israelites. But Exodus 14, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God wanted his might to be known to the Egyptians. Their god, the Pharaoh, could not withstand the might of the world of the Lord. Now, over, over the last couple Sundays, I keep on saying I'm going to talk about justice. Um, and this story is a story of justice, the justice of God. This is God making broken things right. The, the power of Pharaoh over Egypt was destructive. The power of Pharaoh over the Israelites um, was destructive. I mean, not only did the Pharaohs enslave the Israelites... But the Pharaoh ordered all, the, all of Egypt to kill Israelite baby boys, all of the baby boys, right? In a system of terror to keep Israel weak, to keep them terrified. The Israelites were exploited for hundreds of years. And, and without a reckoning of the injustice, there could never be reconciliation, right? There cannot be love. So the God that demanded the death, right? That's the office of Pharaoh. And that God's power, all of the armies, had to be destroyed. That power had to be broken. And I, I think that, that idea kind of makes a lot of us squeamish because we don't like to think about judgment too much. Um, because to us, judgment means harshness. Um, we, 
It means punishment. But God is a God of justice. He makes things right. And to do that, he has to deal with evil. And that should be cause for us to rejoice. Uh, Psalm 96, 13. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. God's judgment is a good thing. It means he cares. Right? It means he cares. Right? We know we don't like children do whatever they want. We have to put boundaries because we care. God cares. Isaiah 33, uh, 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. That's hope for anyone who has ever felt victimized, that's ever felt like they've faced injustice, that one day things will be made right, that there will be justice, that there will be justice. Um, there's this uh, theologian, uh, Miroslav Volf. Um, he's Croatian-born, and he, 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 he's a pacifist. He argues passionately for nonviolence and pacifism. But throughout his writing, he also um, is not afraid to address judgment and the wrath of God. And, and he has this quote in, in one of his books on grace called Free of Charge. And I'd like to share this quote. And I'm sorry, this is a long quote. Um, and I know you shouldn't read super long quotes in you know, your message and your sermon, but I'm doing it anyways. And so it's going to be here too, so you can follow along. But it's a super long quote. But I want you to hear this. He wrote, I used to think that wrath was unworthy of God. Isn't God love? Shouldn't divine love be beyond all wrath? God is love, and God loves every person and every creature. That is exactly why God is wrathful against some of them. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war in former Yugoslavia, the region from which I came. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed, and over 3 million were displaced. My cities, my villages and cities were destroyed. My people shelled in day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination. I could not imagine God not being angry. Or think of Rwanda in the last decade of the past century where 800,000 people were hacked to death in 100 days. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandparently fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath? But instead affirming the perpetrators' basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Though I used to complain about the indecency of the ideas of God's wrath, I came to think that I'd have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. Ultimately, um, Wolf, he argues that we can hold on to nonviolence and pacifism as a legitimate means for change because we trust that God will judge, that God will judge, that God will demand an accounting for every evil and hurtful thing done. And of course, we know that he paid the price. He paid that price on the cross. God's justice is based upon his love. And so we, we need not be afraid to call out injustice, um, to work towards righteousness. You know, we, we need to be able to say, like, no, that, that, that's not right. That is not loving. That is not good. That's, that's part of living in faith. All right, back to Exodus. Pharaoh is destroyed. His army is obliterated. And what happens next? The Israelites, they break out into song. 
Uh, they sing to the Lord. And, and most of chapter 15 is that song. Um, Moses' sister busts out a tambourine, and he gets all the women singing a chorus. Sing to the Lord, for he is greatly exalted. Both the horse and driver of his hurled into the sea. And, and here's the weird thing about the song that Moses and the Israelites sing. Uh, biblical scholars think that this song is, is one of the oldest parts of the Bible. Um, and and they, they, they kind of do this by, they can date fragments of scripture, and like, like the oldest fragments are this song. Um, and the way that the language is used is kind of constructed in a more archaic fashion. Um, and there's, there, they have other ways, but I don't know. It's too technical for me. But I think this is like, might be the oldest part of the Bible. Is this song. A song. Um, a song that reminds of God's power and might and faithfulness. And that's why I wanted to song, start with the song. Um, because songs are formative. There's a reason when you look at the Bible, the biblical record, like preaching isn't really highlighted nearly as much as we make it. Um, right? Like preaching is like the biggest thing in, in our, our services. Um, but biblically, that's not really the case. <laughs> uh, but singing together... Well, that's, that's highlighted. And worshiping God with music is emphasized. And you, and you can sing by yourself, and I, I really believe that people should. People should sing by themselves. They should give praises while they're by themselves. But there is power when we gather together and we remind each other of who God is through song. There is power to that. And, and the song that Moses sang, it talks about God's attributes and it reminded the people of what God had done. And it also encouraged them to look towards the future. Right? It reminded what God had done, who God was, and because of that, it had them look towards the future. And so the church, you know, I always kind of try to end with a series of questions. These are my questions. What is your song? What are the songs in your heart? What songs do you have that remind you of who God is and what God has done in your life? Right? What God is doing. Do you have a song? Do you have a heart song that moves you? Find one. Find one. It's important. Sing it. Sing that song. Hold on to it. Let it remind you of what God's done in your life. Um, I think it's great Chip's here. Chip knows so many songs. Chip is always singing a song whenever he's asked uh, to share something. Um, I bet you I could ask him to sing a song right now, and he would. Um, because because that's kind of the kind of guy he is. Um, but let, let these songs remind you that God's doing something in your life and that there's still more to come. Gather new songs. Collect them. Sing them to yourself. Ask if we can sing them to church, right? Um, you know, we're all, it's, it's volunteer worship-led. We can sing a new song. We don't even have to know it. That's what I did today. They didn't even know the song. I made them sing it. Um, it's great. But Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Let your worship shape and form you. And so I want to close today um, by reading Moses and Miriam's song. So lots of, lots of reading, just, just reading today, which is good, because other people are wiser than I am. Uh, this song's also called, been called uh, The Song at the Sea. I kind of like that name. Um, but this is Exodus chapter 15, starting at verse 1. I will sing to the Lord, 
for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. The greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. I love that, like the farmers. <laughs> um, but by the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. The surging water stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the hearts of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide their spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you brought, you bought, pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Right? That's their song. That's their song. God, you did something. You're good. We can trust you. We're going to face these other things that are going to happen. And you did it then. You can do it now. You're going to do it again. We trust in that. That's what they told themselves. That's what we need to tell ourselves, right? God's done good things in you. Let's pray. Lord, teach us how, teach us how to sing songs to you, Lord. Teach us, teach us how to trust in your judgment, to trust in your justice, to trust in your, in your nature, that you are who you say you are. And that you will do what you say you will do. That you are good. That you are mighty. That you have our best interest in heart. That you're at work to save us. That you're preparing a place for us. Teach us to walk in faith. To trust that you're doing it. Teach us to believe in your glory, to believe in your love. In Christ's name I pray, amen.